It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow, and Jeff Fiegel's with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat, as we take you for the next hour talking Giant football. And, guys, the Giants head coaching search could very well wrap up this weekend. They have one more scheduled interview today, a second one in person this time with Bills defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier. They've completed in-person interviews in the facility with Patrick Graham, who's the in-house candidate, with Brian Flores, the head coach of the Miami Dolphins the last three years, Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dayball, and obviously they did interview Dan Quinn, but he has announced he is staying in Dallas. So that's enough. They could always reopen this up and interview more people over the weekend, but I don't think that appears likely at the moment. So we should have a decision at some point this weekend and then off to the Senior Bowl, right, guys? Yeah, yeah hopefully that none of these guys got to fly in from anywhere. <laughs> 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 yeah, but, you know, hey, they got Zoom. Well, they so. could fly to the Senior Bowl, they Jeff. I don't think that's going to be a problem. I yeah. think that's probably where everybody's going to go anyways. Uh, so, yeah, exciting, exciting. I mean, what a process when going back to a couple weeks ago with all the general manager interviews and now, you know, Joe Shane is here. And we're getting close, guys. Um, you know, I, I don't I'm not going to sit here and speculate anything, but I, you know, I think that it's pretty close between, you know, two people. I think I'm not going to mention the names, but I think that's what they have have it down to. And I think that maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow would be a nice day to talk about the new coach and go forward. I don't know who it's going to be. It's going to be somebody good, though, I hope. Well, guys, let, let's talk about it. We have three candidates now that, that you're going to have those second in-person interviews. What for each of you? And we'll, and we'll go one guy at a time. Okay. Is the biggest question or like pivot point on these guys that that you need to figure out if you're Giants ownership, if you're you know Joe Shane, obviously who's the point man on all of these, who's going to be the next head coach? Why don't we start with Leslie Frazier just because he's the one that's going to be interviewing for the second time today, Lance? Why don't you go first? Well, with Leslie Frazier, I think the big question is who would he want to bring in as his offensive coordinator? And I would say this is really a trend for all of these candidates that we're going to go through. And yeah. I know Brian Dable has an offensive background, but you're still curious well, what his plans are for the defensive side of the ball. Because that, to me, is just as imperative. But the bottom line is this is an offense that averaged under 20 points per game each of the last two seasons. No matter who the head coach is, during all of these interviews and conversations— you have to fix the offense. So I don't want to say that the coach is irrelevant because that's not. That'd be too strong of a statement. But, guys, you could argue who the offensive coordinator is may be the most important decision slash position on this new staff than any other spot because we've seen seasons, specifically this past year, where the defense has been respectable it allows you to stay competitive. It keeps you in games, but your offense can't even meet your defense halfway. So Leslie Frazier, Patrick Graham, you name it, all these guys with defensive backgrounds, Brian Flores, who are you eyeing as your offensive coordinator? Why do you feel strongly with that offensive coordinator? What are your plans to build around Daniel Jones? That's the vision that I want to hear about. 
well before we even get to the topic of anything else that's pertinent to being a head coach. And then with Brian Dable, and I know you wanted to go each no, candidate, please, no, John, no, but I'm that's sorry, fine. these are no, things that are coming to the forefront. No, for sure. With Dable, to me, the biggest question is because, yes, he'd be running your offense, but if you go back to Buffalo, guys, he actually spent a portion of his tenure as OC up in the booth, okay? So what I would want to know is why did you feel more comfortable upstairs and what's the difference in terms of if now you become a head coach and you're down on the field, how do the dynamics change? Who do you plan on bringing in maybe as your title of offensive coordinator, even though he may not call the plays, but help in the coordination of the offense? So that's the million-dollar question with Dable. All of these defensive guys, it's more of big-picture vision who your play caller is. Jeff, what do you think? Well, I, I, I totally agree. And I think we've talked about this uh, earlier in the week about – and John, you and I agreed with each other. I think Paul kind of disagreed in a sense that this, as as uh, Lance is saying, is is very important. And when you look at the offensive coordinators per se that's out there, uh, you know, there's not. I don't know if there's a whole lot of them. So you know, and by the way, will Brian Dable be able to bring Ken Dorsey with him? You know what I'm saying? Like, as, as his offensive no, coordinator? No, I would say probably not. Yeah, probably no not, right? He would yeah. probably be the Bills' offensive coordinator. Yeah, right. so, like, I know everybody's connecting the dots here in a sense, but, you know, just because Brian Dable comes here, you're, I think you, it's a good point, Lance. Like, even if he's going to be calling the plays, which I, I would think at some point in time he did call the plays from the sideline and maybe just decided to go up in the booth, but the fact is is that um, I think it's an important question, and it's, and it's been asked, but I don't know like what the relationship that Leslie Frazier or even Brian Flores has with other people that would be pertinent enough for that guy to come here. Because I agree with you. I think it's just as important to have the offensive coordinator be a really, really good hire because of the dysfunct or broken offense that sits with the Giants right now. And it's not pretty. And by the way, you can go into a lot of other things that aren't pretty, but I think it's a great point and I And it's very interesting to see and I would be if I was a fly in the wall that would be the first thing I would be listening to like who who's your friends who you got over there <laughs> you know well, look, staff is so important and, and that goes to player development and, and Joe Shane talked about that yeah. at the press conference right having a good staff I'll throw a couple other nuggets out there too that I think are important uh-huh. I do think it's very important to, to get to the bottom of some of the things that happened with Brian Flores in Miami yeah right the reports sure. that him and the GM didn't get along is that true or did he just not maybe get along with the owner? Like, or maybe he got along with both, and there was a different reason he got let go. You know, we just don't know. So I think we need to, you know, or we, they need to figure out exactly what happened out there by talking to people. We know Joe Shane has a relationship with Chris Greer, so you figure he can get the down low on that and figure out exactly what went on. But even aside from that, why did he have three different offensive coordinators for three straight years? You know, yeah. how did they handle Tua? You know, all those sorts of things I think are really important that you have to square away with Brian Flores. If you square that stuff away, given his path of success on defense and his scheme on defense, and just, you know, he finished with a 500 record up there in Miami despite having a first year where they went 5-11, and 11, I think you're pretty impressed by his resume, right? But you got to square that stuff away. The good news is that Joe Shane has contacts up there and knows a lot of people in Miami to figure that out. So... I think that's with Flores. I think with Dable, uh, Lance mentioned it. You know, he started on the side and then he went up to the booth. My understanding is that he kind of liked to, you know, look at the defense from up there and, and talk I to Josh Allen yeah. until the last second to help him work on those defenses. But, again, who would be his guy up there? Again, I don't think you quite worry about the offensive coordinator, Dable, because I think he's going to help yeah. put the offense together, even if he's not calling plays. 
like with Mike McDaniel and, you know, Shanahan in San Francisco, you know, McVay and his offensive coordinator in L.A., blah, 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 O'Connell, right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that to me is not so much a concern, but do you think Brian Dable is, is going to do the CEO portions of the head coach job that no one's ever seen him do before, right? Mm-hmm. We know he can coordinate, and I assume they like his offensive system. But can he do those other things? Do you think he can be a leader in the building? That's a question that, that we no one can know the answer to, but you have to determine that when you do the interview. And finally, for Leslie Frazier, yeah, I think who's going to be the offensive coordinator, uh, talk about what his style of a head coach is going to be, find out what he thinks went wrong in his time in Minnesota, what could have gone better, what he would change, what he learned. You know, the same type of stuff we talked about when the Giants were interviewing Pat Shermer as, their head co- as a head coaching candidate. And then you kind of go from there. So to me, those are the things that, that are most important when you try to figure out, you know, which one of these guys is right for the job. But staff, schematics, and leadership, I think, are are really the three things that you're most concerned with when you're trying to figure out who to hire for one of these jobs. Well, and I think the staff is probably the number one on the list of all those factors that you just named because no matter who we're talking about, now, what's interesting, though, about Brian Dable, actually, is he was a defensive assistant with the Patriots very early in his career, and then he flipped over to offense. So that's an individual that actually has seen really both sides of the ball. So I think he has an understanding of that. But, you know, who is he going to empower as his defensive coordinator? That's still an important question. And, and by the way, the defensive it, could guys, very the well, offense. it could very well be Patrick Graham. For right. It could know. very well be. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I don't know if – well, he was there in 2013 to 16. Patrick Graham, I believe, was there during that tenure in terms of his second go-around with the Patriots. I'm just curious. Graham if, was with the Patriots and from 2012, 2012 to 2015. Yeah, so, yes, so the second overlap. stint mm-hmm. for Brian Dable is when he crossed paths with Patrick Graham because Dable, remember, was there earlier from 2000 to 2006. That was before – Patrick Graham, and of course we know Flores and Graham also cross paths, so you have a lot of guys that are connected to the Patriots, Bill Belichick, and so forth, so you know, I know a lot of people are saying, well, wait a minute, you just had Joe Judge, the bottom line is there's a crossover with all of these candidates somehow, for the most part, not all of them, but the majority of them have crossed ties with uh, the Patriots as well as Bill Belichick, so you're really going to get into all of that, no matter which direction you go in, but the bottom line is, as far as leadership is concerned, you need to feel good about who you're empowering the other side of the ball with. Because, you know, just like we talked about, Flores had multiple offensive coordinators. Now, he did promote from within during his tenure in Miami, meaning he didn't grab a guy off the street. He just, when they parted ways with Chan Gailey, they boosted up two assistants. And he actually had co-offensive coordinators this past season. So you want to know, well, was it because of issues internally was it because you just thought the assistant had more promise and you wanted to give him an opportunity you'd obviously want to know what the rationale behind that was and also you know the other part of that which I'd want to know the answers to is Tua was an extremely young quarterback and you've had a revolving door of play callers now Daniel Jones obviously has a little bit more seasoning because he's been in the league by the time you'd be taking over but Daniel Jones has been through the same situation where it's been multiple offensive coordinators, multiple offensive linemen, and so forth. Do you want somebody that's going to now put Daniel Jones through the same circumstance considering, guys, remember John Maris' statement the other day was, we've done everything possible to screw up Daniel Jones. So you've got to be at least cautious about if you bring in a coach who has that track record, is he going to straighten those things out so you don't have that type of movement again? And by the way, just to throw this out there very quickly, Jeff, uh, mm-hmm. before you give your take, 
you know, both Dayball and Graham have connections. I mean, both Dayball and Flores have connections to Patrick Graham, so that he could stay if either one of those guys gets the job. He also, Patrick Graham, according to reports, interview with the Steelers yesterday for their defensive coordinator position. And by the way, not for nothing, if Dayball gets the job and Brian Flores doesn't get a head coaching job somewhere else, maybe he could be your defensive coordinator. Yeah. Yeah, still a lot of other coaches' vacancies available that will be available after this weekend, according to whatever people. You know, the thing about uh, the offensive coordinator for both, just you know, speculating uh, Dayball and Brian Flores, for that matter, I, I gotta believe, guys. Unless we're gonna go, they're gonna go out and find somebody that's been in that position before, a veteran guy, play caller, um, which wouldn't be a bad thing, right? But I mean, I I think the way that this league is going, as far as innovation. You kind of want to get your hands on some hotshot young guy, right? However, that hotshot young guy, a guy like Kellen Moore or someone like that, would have already been speculating as a head coaching position. So you're probably going to get somebody that's never called plays as an offensive coordinator, right? I mean, because you can't have a lateral move. You can't go pluck the offensive coordinator from, you know, the Bengals or somebody and bring him over here. So, you know, it's an interesting decision that they have to, to make as far as it goes with the head coach. And who they're going to bring into. And I think it's so important that they get this right because of what John Mara said about Daniel Jones. And regardless of who it is, it's going to be a new system. I feel like Daniel Jones can pick it up. Um, but I think it's important that if it is Dayball, that, you know, he'll have a lot to do with the offense coming oh, from yeah. Buffalo. You know, I mean, a majority of it's going to be him. I know. I mean, look, hey, let's be honest. His playbook is showing up with him. Yeah, right? He's going to take the playbook and it's yeah. coming with him. Like, it's, it's not coming. like he's leaving that behind now. Yeah, I know it's he's not. And uh, so, I, I mean, and listen, you know, there's other coaches around the league that call the plays on game day. You know, I know a lot of people don't like their head coach to be that person that calls the plays. But, you know, if you do it well, who cares? Right. Although you do guys, you make a point that he's calling plays from the press box. If he's going to be calling plays and he's going to have to do it from the sideline, he's done it before. Don't think it's a huge issue. In fact, he'll probably tell you the same thing. Well, and again, if Dayball's here and he and he, you know, Dable's here, and he it puts the system together, and he designs it, but someone else is physically calling the plays on game day. Yeah. That's fine, because you still have the guy there. It's his offense. He knows what works, how to design it, how to tweak it as the game goes along. And if he's not the one physically calling the plays but helps put the game plan together during the week, I'm fine with that. That doesn't bother me. Yeah. I think it would depend on who he brings in as his offensive coordinator. For example, Jeff, to your point, Let's say he brings in somebody. I'm just going down a hypothetical road. Not yeah. Ken Dorsey, but he brings in some other young assistant, right, from the Buffalo Bills mm -hmm. who has the opportunity to get a boost, and he gives him the title on offensive coordinator. He helps him put together the game plan. Then I would think probably Dable's going to call the plays. If, let's say, he brought in, once again, hypothetical. I'm not trying to set off alarms. Uh, Bill O'Brien, right, worked for the Patriots, who's at Alabama. Maybe he brings him in, okay? Hypothetical, once again, as an offensive coordinator. Bill O'Brien has enough experience. Maybe you'd feel comfortable him calling the plays because, once again, he's done that at many different places, different circumstances. Yeah. So I think it depends on the experience level of who you would be bringing in and giving the title of OC. All right, guys, let's get to the calls. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Gary in Florida. He will lead us off today. Gary, what's up? Hey, what's up, gentlemen? I appreciate uh, you guys taking my call today. Uh, I just want to get off topic a little bit, not not with the coaching, but with the draft. Um, I remember last year when we finished that draft, when we got that trade um, with Chicago, that we were all pumping fists, that this, this, this draft class coming up due to the COVID 
um, eligibility, people coming back in extra years of eligibility, was going to be a really good draft. And um, lately, man, I've just been hearing how bad the draft is going to be. Well, no, guy, so remember, wanted... it's not that the draft is bad. There aren't as many elite players at the top of the draft, but it is actually a pretty deep draft class, which is accounts for a lot of those super seniors going back to school. And my question to that, John, is do you, do you think it's better for us to to see if anybody wants any of our picks in the top ten and move back and get some more draft picks for the future draft picks coming up since we know this is not like an overnight re- uh, rebuild for us. Yes. Do you feel like that that would be a better move for us? I, I think it's a great move. Yeah, I agree. I'm with Jeff. I appreciate it. But, guys, that's all I really got today. I just want to say thank you for everything you do, man. I listen to you every day. And, um, some, you know, you guys give a lot of input, and I uh, appreciate everything, man. Thank you, Thank guys. you. I appreciate the call. And, by the way, the reason for that is that your quarterback situation is unsettled, right? Daniel Jones is heading into the fourth year of his, of his rookie deal. We got to see what they do on the fifth-year option. And depending on whether or not in the future you have to go find another quarterback, you want to have as much draft capital at your disposal. So if you have to move to find that quarterback, you have the picks to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's why, to me – if you can figure out a way to trade down again this year, pick up some extra pick, future picks in the future just to give you that flexibility, that to me would be a smart thing to do. You just have to take into consideration that if this is not a class where the quarterbacks are considered very high as they are in previous years, do you actually have a team that's willing to move yeah. up? Absolutely. Especially yeah. if they have no interest in grabbing a quarterback. That's not to say that teams haven't moved up previously to get non-quarterbacks, but normally if somebody's going to move up, and give up capital to get up to that five, that seven area, in all likelihood, it's probably to go after a quarterback. So I think that, to me, may make it a little bit more challenging, meaning Joe Shane ideally may love the idea of moving down, but that doesn't mean that he's going to have a taker. You need okay? to the tango. It, yeah. So yeah. that's the other side of the equation that can't be overlooked. You can want to move down. Somebody else needs to be willing to then move up. Yes. And, and is there that can't miss other player other than, you know, like you said, the scenario normally involves a quarterback. Is there another can't miss football guy this year, whether it's an offensive lineman, an edge rusher, which is probably or a corner. Wide know, there receiver. Are some, yeah, somebody that you that some teams got to have to to really fulfill that position on their roster that they need. I don't know. You know, it might be worth a little bit of a trade down to get something, but you may not be able to, you know, get what you you would have had in the past. That's yes. for sure. The caller asked whether or not the Giants should try to do that. My answer was yes. But to Lance's point, if you ask <laughs> yeah. me now, are the Giants going to be able to do that? Will they have somebody that wants to move up? My answer right now is probably no. To be and you know, th- and, and you know how this goes, John. As we get closer. There's going to be teams that talking to the Giants about this, oh, you know, if, if there was a player that they like. So that'll give them somewhat of a indicator if this is hot or not. And if it's not, then they're going to figure out the way to pick the best player available for their roster at that point at five and seven. It's a mute point. So and then they'll get their draft picks for next year. That's because, uh, I mean, I think next year, as you know, I think is a little bit more of a sexier class as far as quarterbacks go that next year would have the opportunity. Too bad you don't have those two next year. Yeah, you have the Alabama kid, the Ohio State kid. That mm-hmm. should be coming and out. And probably one or two that we don't know about yet. Of course. Somebody's going to rise up the ranks, you know. Yeah. Um, and by the way, 
you're going to be down there, John. You know, the biggest testament to guys that go up and down the draft boards is the senior board. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, they know Joe <laughs> Jeff, like, in nine days, we could be having the same conversation, and people are like, oh, Kenny Pickett's a guaranteed Holy top ten he, I mean, he you threw know? the ball just as good as Josh Allen did. I'm not saying Malik Willis is Patrick Mahomes, but some of the plays that he made, let me tell you. You know what I mean? All that nonsense. All it takes is one team to fall in love with a prospect. Yep. That's all it takes. Yeah. Yep. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Joel in Manchester. He's up next. What's up, Joel? Hi, Joel. Joel going with um, yeah. This is Dave from Manchester. Oh, hi, Dave. <laughs> All right. Hi. Hi, Dave. <laughs> Joel, do I do? We know you're in Manchester. We just don't know your name. <laughs> hi, Dave. Hey, um, guys, I was wondering what your thoughts are on um, um, my thoughts are that the uh, – Giants would really want to keep um, Patrick Graham as their defensive coordinator. And um, um, being that the general thought is that Brian Flores and um, Brian Dable are um, the leading two contenders, um, uh, I'm wondering if you think, number one, if, either or both of those guys would ask Patrick Graham to be their defensive coordinator. And I mean, two, it's possible. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and if Patrick Graham was offered a um, head coaching job somewhere, what are the chances of him taking that or um, staying on as defensive coordinator with us? Well, I don't I, know if he's yeah. he's interviewed with the Giants for a head coaching job. Where else has he interviewed? I, I well, don't the think Vikings, he has. The, yeah, the Vikings are going to have an interview with okay, him. There okay, there you go. Thank you. Ian Rappaport right. so is that's reporting great. that. If yeah. Patrick Graham's offered a head coaching job, he's probably going to take it. I mean, well, like, I mean, I think that's your goal at the end of the day. I mean, you right? have to, it's right? To find <laughs> the highest possible position at your given craft. So now, I, you, you want to find a good, you want to find a good situation where you think you sure. can succeed. You don't want to step in and be like, oh, I got no chance at this. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's not going to say, you know what I want to do? I want to stay here as defensive coordinator under a brand-new head coach instead of going to be a head coach somewhere else. Like that, no, it's not going to yeah. happen. Well, he also could look at it as like, I'm just, I, obviously, I don't think that I'm lukewarm for a, high, for, for a head coaching position right now. Maybe I can improve my position a year or two from now if I can do what I, what I think I can do with this defense. You know, there is some positive about keeping Patrick Graham as far as, you know, as far as continuity, something that Joe Shane preached about in his press conference. And what I mean by that is system. You've got some coaches on the staff there that I'm sure that Patrick Graham wants to keep. Um, so there's just kind of a less of a process that you have to go to as a new head coach and a general manager to find the staff on the defensive side if you switch the whole thing. And there are some good coaches on the other side of the ball, or excuse me, on defense. You know, there are some good guys over there. So I think there's a lot of positiveness to keeping Patrick Graham. I know the players love to play for him. And, um, you know, as far as the system goes, guys, you know, there's, there's not, you know, maybe the head coach might want to change some things here and there. But, you know, that's a good thing. There's, there's, the learning curve is uh, it's, there's really small, except well, for the new guys. Flores has the history with Patrick Graham. Yeah. So, I mean, yep. I think of the two candidates, if He's there was forward. somebody that 
probably would likely at least heavily consider keeping him on staff, it would be Patrick Graham. Because remember, when Patrick Graham spoke to the media at some point this season, he was asked a little bit more detail. It was actually the week when the Giants played the Dolphins because everybody was reminiscing. And he was asked about making the move to the Giants. Why did he leave Miami staff? And he said part of it was he wanted to be closer to his family in this region because he's from the Connecticut area. So if Flores gets the Giants job, let's say hypothetically, well, Graham would still be close then to his family and he'd be reunited with somebody who obviously I'm assuming he's still in line philosophically speaking. So, I mean, if you connect the dots there, I'd say that's an option. Everybody else, I don't think Graham's connections are as strong and are as close. But, you know, once again, if a team comes calling for him to be a head coach, Minnesota, for example, he's got an Ivy League connection to the general manager who was at Princeton. Graham was at Yale. So if you have an environment there where you believe you can thrive, and Minnesota certainly has pieces on the defensive side of the ball, you've got offensive weapons in Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, I would say it's not a bad situation to be in if he does get that opportunity. 201-939-45. Go ahead. Go ahead, caller. All right. Uh, the other thing I was I just came to mind was that um, if you look at the Cowboys and how they um, up the ante, let's say for uh, Dan Quinn to convince him to stay as defensive coordinator, uh, we've seen that uh, the Giants have uh, done the same with uh, Patrick Graham, uh, making him assistant head coach, uh, um, and I'm sure um, sweetening the pot to keep him around. So um, that comes into play as well. Well, I think those circumstances are a little bit different in fairness to Dan Quinn. I think part of it may have been Quinn didn't get maybe some of the opportunities that he wanted to in the head coaching area and decided to return. Plus, Dallas didn't make a coaching change. You have to understand. Whereas the Giants have made a coaching change. So it's one thing to say, hey, your defensive coordinator went for a few interviews. He didn't like what he heard. He didn't get the opportunity. He's going to return then to his current job. I don't think that's crazy. Patrick Graham is more of in this gray area where his head coach, his boss, was removed from his position. So, yeah, technically he's still under contract, but there's the unknown about a new staff coming in. So it's not necessarily the same in terms of the Dan Quinn situation and the Patrick Graham situation. Yeah, and Dan Quinn's already had a head coaching job, right? So he kind of probably understands better. You know, it's not like he probably doesn't feel like he used to jump at the first opportunity. Mm-hmm. He can find the right opportunity, too. I think that's probably a little bit of a different mindset when it comes to that as well. Dave, thanks for the call. Let's go to Doug in Rochester. He's up next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Doug. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Um, I was looking at ESPN and saying Giants are down to three candidates, Flores, Frazier, and DeBall. Or you could have just listened to the first ten minutes of the show and you could have learned that, Doug. Take your pick. uh, Yeah, I didn't listen, but to me is with the Giants offense, the way how bad it was, how horrible it was, DeBall would be the best candidate because, um, like Joe Shane said, he wants to put the offense around James Jones. So, to me, I think you need an offensive coordinator and if you get a defensive coordinator, like I like Flores, but then where are you going to get an offensive coordinator from? Are you going to get Bill Watts or Mike Schottenheimer to come out of retirement? If they're still living, they're trying to fix that giant. Well, Marty Schottenheimer, coming. unfortunately, is no longer with us. Yes. So yeah. I don't so, think that's an option. Yeah, but I'm saying a good room like that because you're going to need somebody. Um, you know, it's, gonna, it's hard to find an offensive coordinator because the office coordinator is not going to leave a team to come to the Giants, you know. So uh, to me, it'd be well, hard. Well, you get to then find somebody out on the market, then. 
That's what you would do. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to get somebody currently on a team. I mean, there's other there's other guys that were previous head coaches that have offensive backgrounds. Maybe they want to get back in the game, and you could very well hire them as your offensive coordinator. That's always an option. Well, yeah. yeah. A lot of teams are looking at that. Jim Caldwell and all, the, all them guys are looking for that. And um, like, I, like I said with Daniel Jones, if you can get Daniel Jones um, – you know, the offensive line, the receivers, like the separated stuff. The biggest question to me is Danny Jones is going to be, I don't want to say like Jimmy G. Um, he's got to be able to make some throws. He's got to be able to make throws, okay? That's going to be the biggest question to me with Daniel Jones, um, to make throws to win the game or, you know, like throw 25 times a game. He, he's got to make those throws. Yes, a quarterback right? has to make so, throws to be successful. That is correct. Yeah, I'm going to say he don't have to be Mahomes or – or um, what's the name, Aaron Rodgers or none of them. I mean, Aaron Rodgers or, you know, Stafford or somebody that pocket, but they can throw three, they throw 300 some yards a game. Danny Jones throws 260, two touchdowns. You know, that's good enough. You know, I'm talking about like the Jimmy G situation. Jimmy G's not considered one of those top quarterbacks, but he's a good quarterback. He makes the throws when he has to. That's why I think it's going to come down to Daniel Jones. He, he's going to be the, one of those type of quarterbacks where if he makes those throws, he'd be the Giants quarterback. All right. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate the call, man. Let me just get something out there about Jimmy. And this is not me taking shots at Jimmy. I know there's like a big internet hubbub about Jimmy Garoppolo with, you know, Mina Kimes saying what's painfully obvious about him and people taking offense to that. Um, but, guys, let me just tell you something. If Daniel Jones showed up and had two consecutive playoff games where he completed 27 of four, and this is combined now, <laughs> over two games, not in one game, combined over two, all right, was 27 of 44 for 303 yards with no touchdowns, two interceptions, and a 63 quarterback rating in two playoff games, people would be losing their damn minds <laughs> trying to get Daniel Jones out of town. Yeah. So I don't... Jimmy Garoppolo had precisely zero to do with the 49ers being the Green Bay Packers last week. I mean, let's be honest about it. They scored their only touchdown on a block punt. <laughs> <laughs> and their other field goal, one of their field goals was set up by a turnover in Packers territory. They also drafted a guy in the first round to replace him. Yeah, yeah so, correct. I mean, clearly. <laughs> yes. They're that gives you more of an idea. to make the transition. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jimmy Garoppolo's fine, but that shouldn't be your goal, right? Like... You know who I want? I want the guy that you need defense and special teams to win games for. And by the way, and, and again, this is not I, – Jimmy Garoppolo is a good NFL quarterback. I'm not, like, trying to go after Jimmy Garoppolo here. You know when the they made the Super Bowl, the 49ers back in, in 2019? Do you know what Jimmy Garoppolo's stats were in the NFC Championship game? He was 6 of 8 for 77 yards. Well, they pounded the football in that game. Yes. They ran the ball down the Packers' throats. And the yeah, first, he didn't need to throw the ball. Correct. And the first game against the Vikings that year, he was 11 of 19 yeah, for 131 and one touchdown. That yeah. Right. So he's just kind of there. Like, it's not – they're not winning games because of Jimmy Garoppolo. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> well, it also goes to show you about the importance of the other facets of a team. That, you know, you could certainly win football games if you have strength in other areas where you don't have to put everything on the quarterback. But that's not necessarily the game plan that's going to make you win consistently and win every year. Now, the Niners are fortunate. They still have a good running game. They've got, obviously, a defense, and that's helped them get this far. Now they're going to go up against a Rams offense that clearly could put points on the board. 
So it may put a little bit more on Jimmy's plate. Yep. Eventually, the quarterback's going to have to rise to the occasion. He's going to have to make Correct. plays. Correct. So far, they've been able to navigate that without having Jimmy have that monster game. It can be done. We've seen it in NFL history. But, yeah, if you want to sustain success long term, you need a quarterback where you're not going into every game saying, what do we need to do to cover him up and protect him? Correct. You oh, need you. to know that he could come to play on any given day and deliver. So I don't think any team or any offensive coordinator, and if we apply this to the Giants, I don't think any coordinator is coming in and saying, how do we cover up Daniel Jones? No. How do we get him to a point how do where you you're not having those question marks about How him? do you unleash Daniel Jones, yeah. right? How do you make him a quarterback you're winning because of? You know, not, not a guy that's just along for the ride. Like Garoppolo in his, in his last five playoff games, the Niners are 4-1. and one. Great record, right? And this is why quarterback records are just poppycock nonsense. He has two touchdowns and five interceptions and is averaging under 200 yards per game. That's why quarterback records are nonsense. Mm-hmm. Nonsense. Jeff, you got well, anything before I go to the next caller? Well, I'm just just flat out. I mean, I, this isn't very hard for you, for everybody to understand where this is going at the quarterback position, right? I mean, guys, Daniel Jones is your quarterback in 2022. Okay, there's going to be somebody in here to compete with him who's going to be your backup. And they're going to say to Daniel Jones – Next year, wow, okay, we seriously saw some serious improvement. You're going to fit well in this, or it's going to be we're moving on. That's what's going to happen. The Giants have no money to go after a quarterback, guys, so just leave it alone. That's what it's going to be. So Jimmy Garoppolo or whoever you want, it's not going to happen. It can't happen unless they they gut the team and they can come up with a bunch of money and go after somebody, but they're not going to do that. And by the way, Joe Shane was asked – flat out about, oh, you know, well, what's the value of having a franchise quarterback? And he had this huge smile on his face. He goes, let me tell you, it really helps. <laughs> like, he understands the value sure. of finding the Giants version of Josh Allen. Now, can Daniel Jones, you hope, develop to the point where he can become, you know, maybe not to Josh Allen's level, but to a level where, you know, you have a quarterback that can carry you along the way? Sure, he has not shown that yet. He has not shown he's been able to stay healthy enough. To do that over a long stretch of time, which a big, which is a big part of this, but simply because, to Jeff's point, there's just not a really good avenue for a clear upgrade right now. The only path that makes sense is to give him a chance to do it this year, and you want him to show that he can be better than what Jimmy Garoppolo is. That's the goal here. The goal isn't just say, all right, well, let's hope he can be a guy we can get by with, and then we sign him to some long-term deal. If you get the parts around him right, you want him to show that he's more than that. Mm-hmm. Then you feel good about signing him here long term, right? That's kind of the way I look at it, at least. Yeah, you want to see that the ceiling is higher than Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, you absolutely need to see that, I think, if you're going to invest in him long term. I just go back to, you know, based on what we're discussing right now, and we've had these conversations in the offseason where, okay, this is going to be the year where X, Y, and Z is going to stay healthy. He's going to have right all the pieces around him. And then you go through this season where that didn't happen. That's why I go back to the offensive coordinator, the play caller, the scheme is so important in terms of the hiring process because you can't also go into this upcoming season thinking everyone's going to be healthy for 17 games. There's going to be movable parts. So if there's movable parts again, guys, you don't want to get to the end of the season still asking yourself, well, if we take it for another ride and we hope that everybody around Daniel Jones is healthy, we'll finally see what he can and, do. And by the way, you know? this, this is the same conversation we had 
last okay. February, Correct. by sure. the way, and yeah, it just 100%. didn't work out. Well, we've had it multiple times, and then yeah. you know, callers call in and say, oh, this is going to be the year the offensive line is improved, and Kenny Galladay's healthy, and Tony, and then what happens when we get to seven weeks into the season, somebody suffers an injury, we're going to have the same thing. Well, 2023 is going to be the year where everybody stays healthy. It's like you can't yeah. keep going in circles like this. Eventually, and this is why, not to get off topic with Jimmy Garoppolo, John, and, and Jeff, what you guys were talking about, but Kyle Shanahan stands out so much because he hasn't had ideal circumstances and he's still been able to get over the hump. And the coaching staff overall deserves a lot of credit, but that's why the coordinator, the scheme is so important. You want to bring in somebody that may have not had the ideal circumstances everywhere he went and still found a way to make something happen because that's how teams hang around in the playoff picture and then eventually make it in the NFL, where all of a sudden you don't hit the panic button because you lost one or two guys. You say, okay, we're going to now find a way to showcase this player because we lost that player. Case in point, the Niners have transformed Debo Samuel into sort of a pseudo-esque running back now where they find ways to get him out in open space other than just being a wide receiver. And part of that was because they suffered injuries at the running back position earlier this season, and Elijah Mitchell just came back. So, you know, those are the things that I look for. How do you find a way to maximize what you have in your strength areas to make up for what you lost in other places? Now, in fairness, That's the key. I, I agree, Lance. Injuries become too much for a lot, of, like even for a team like the Niners. Like they went 6-10 and 10 last year because they were ravaged with injuries the same way the Giants were this year. So at some point, you're still going to get to the point here where it's too much and you can't overcome that. But I completely understand you want to raise the floor having that, that, that sort of excellent coordinator and play caller in the fold for you. Well, I mean, e even if you look at, though, 2019 when they made the Super Bowl, they had some injury. Raheem Mostert, for example, that year really came out of nowhere. He was a practice squad guy on a variety of teams, and then he had over 200 rushing yards in that game you were referencing against the Packers in the NFC Championship game. Right. So it may have not been the same level, yes, of 2020's injuries, but I feel like they've had the cloud of injuries over Shanahan since he took over in 2017 because Jimmy G got hurt and this and that, and I just feel like he's found ways to then take player C and put him in a position to thrive so at least they remain competitive. They may not be making the playoffs, but they're at least putting together an offense that is able to manufacture points. And that, to me, has been the difference maker in San Fran compared to other teams that I think have been put in somewhat similar circumstances. Hey, look, and that's why Kyle Shanahan's the best offensive coordinator and play, well, not best, off, best offensive mind in the NFL. Let me put it that way. And I don't think anyone would necessarily dispute that. Let's go to Steve in Washington, D.C. Steve-O! <laughs> hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, you know, I appreciate you guys taking my call today. I hope everybody's doing good. As y'all know, I was pretty fired up. I got lost my win because, first of all, I'm glad y'all put me on after Doug. That's an easy act to follow. <laughs> 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 my anyway, listen, one man. throwing another one under the bus. Wow, that, that is some violence from listen. Steve. Holy cow. Jeez, there's that tire marks that hey. we're still going to have to clean <laughs> hey, off listen, after that. Love it. Hey, fellas, y'all know I really go on my rants. I really want to cover a lot, but I know y'all not going to let me get it all out. Go ahead, so man. I really want to kind of do a mini rant here, and then I want to definitely – Want to hear you guys' response, you know? But y'all, so first I'm just gonna be quick, and I, I mean I'll try to be quick. And I'll just start with you know with the whole show and hire. You know, to me, I kind of knew it really. You know, the GM position really wasn't gonna weigh too. You know, I wasn't gonna lose too much sleep over it because I kind of figured you know they would pick a guy just like him, and you know I just felt it was 
You know, he's young and all that, and I, I, he has not said anything I didn't expect him to say. Let's just put it that way. And I don't expect him to say exactly what he's going to do. I do think he's a young, smart guy, but as far as him coming in and changing a bunch of things or saying what he's going to do, telegraphing all that stuff, I don't, pay, I don't put much credence into that. So I know he said something, but what do you expect him to say? So I'll just leave that alone because really the only thing I'm going to judge him on at this time, even though I'm a little concerned because of his his age, I think he's, I'm 51. He just seems a little bit immature when I watch the interviews. I mean, just, I know he's young. He's probably a little bit nervous. But I'm like, gosh, this guy's really young. So I'm just really not sure how sure he is in himself. We'll see. Well, Steve, but I got to tell I, you I, real I, fast. You, I disagree. You are making me feel I – mean, Shane's older than I. He's two years older than me. So you are making me feel like a young pup here, Steve. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, hey, well, listen, man. He's no, he's, he's no. Listen, first of all, I don't mean any disrespect to the guy. I think he's young, innovative mind, exactly what we need. But as far as you know, every people I think he's going to come in here and blow up everything what we've been doing since ever is just. I just think that's unrealistic. Who said well, he, he didn't? Well, he didn't say he was going to yeah, blow it. That's who, who the last thing he said. Him no. to do that, yeah. Hey, no. But listen, listen. So I'm going to go on with it to my hot button right now, okay? And I got so many. <laughs> But I'm really I'm going to try to stay focused because really Dude, all I please. want to do is win like every New York football giant fan. So let me just tell you why Flores is my guy and should be the next coach. Sure. Okay. Now, number one, you, you know I, I don't really you know I mean I don't really think we can say he has a history of this just because some things happen, and I'm sure there's logical reasons as to why they changed the GM. We just you know I mean he wasn't out there getting in fist fights with his coaches, and nobody went overboard when. You know, when Joe was doing that, and we've been through coaches, we held, we, as far as I'm concerned, we retired to linemen early. We could go on and we could speculate about that. Or we could say he's a young coach who the majority of those players would do anything for. He has some issues, and he's a smart dude. So whatever mistakes he made, let's give him a little bit of credit and assume he's learned and, and going and gonna to move smarter moving forward. So I, I've also linked heard that the offensive uh, coordinator for Alabama is linked to coming to wherever he gets a Whole, you know, head coaching opportunity. Bill Hopefully, it's here. So, I mean, the thing is this, and the reason why, another reason why he is, because I do not want to link a first-time head coach with my young first-time GM. I think it's absolutely asinine. You know, I know people are like, oh, we need an offensive coordinator for you know for for Daniel and all this stuff. This is this, Daniel is a player on the team. He is not the organization. You know, he'll be lucky if he's here after next year. But we can't plan everything we do. We need a leader, a real leader amongst men, one who's going to manage the team, one who's going to get the absolute best out of everybody, one who's going to turn, you know, you know, S-word into sugar, you know, turn lemon into lemonade. This dude's record, you know, speaks for himself. Now, you know, 10 seconds, you know, or 10 win season, 9-7, beating Belichick twice out of here. Look at that roster. It's Can I ask no you one question, way. Steve? Can I ask you one question? Sure. And by the way, I, I think you're making really good points, having the experienced coach with a rookie GM. I think that makes sense. Flores, obviously, his players played hard for him. He finished with an over 500 record down there, despite mm-hmm. having uh, maybe just one game under. 5-11 and 11 in his first year. No argument of all that. Oh, you made good points. He seems to be a guy the players buy into, and I agree with all that. What do you make of the fact that he had basically turned over his entire coaching staff every offseason that he was in Miami? Does that concern you at all? Yes. <laughs> okay, sure fair enough. That's, that's fair. Sure. <laughs> sure answer is yes. That's fair. And the thing is this, I don't know all the, I don't know all the details, okay? 
but I don't know all the details, but first of all, that's Miami and the org. It all starts from the top, John. Let me oh, tell you something. That, that's we already true too. know that, that that org is our owners keep we keep if we can keep a, a defensive coordinator around for two head coaches, don't you sit here and tell me some young coach is responsible for every foolishness that went around going around there. That's ridiculous. It's absolutely Well well ridiculous. no, Steve, and in fairness, so, Steve, the the in generally and again, we're not in the building of Miami, so I can't tell you exactly how it worked, but it doesn't very happen often where the, the, the coaches dictated who's going to be on his staff. I agree. But, look, the man was winning, though, right? Is, no. this, not a, is this not a sport of winning? The it man is. was winning. It is. We're, we're garbage. No, that's fair. We're, we're garbage. So, I mean, I, like I said, I'm not going to try to convince everybody else, but I'm convinced. And I think with good reason. I could go on and on and on, but I'm not going to do that. But I did want to say I want to touch one thing with the draft because, I mean, I am not a Daniel Jones believer. In. I'm, you know, he wears blue, so I support but I don't believe in him. And I, and I hear, so here's what I'm thinking. And I do believe in smart, being smart and in the here and now, winning now. So all this talk about, oh, there's no quarterbacks. Stop it. Because number one, we know we ain't got no money. We're not going to go out and get the shine. Everybody want to lick him and bust him and everybody else. All that stuff that scares everybody. I'm not, I'm not afraid of the boogeyman. This is how we get it done if we're responsible. We move back with that fifth or seventh pick. We get a pick at a Willis, pick up extra picks, get the line and get an edge rusher and stop playing. But we're going to get us a real quarterback in here. Do not try to do this. Between his health and, and everything else not working in his favor, we'd be absolutely irresponsible not to get a young player in here and develop them. Let's try doing that for once because that's the one thing that's let me down for two, almost two decades. The last five years, Tom Coffin was here, really. We stopped developing players. And no one gets better when they come here anymore. In fact, most people get worse. That's a problem. Okay, so this dude develops players. He has a young, you know, he has a young experience, and I do believe he has connections in the, you know, still in college. So let's go get us a young, innovative offensive coordinator. I even do from Alabama does anything for him, and let's get it done, man. He, he's been kidding me. He's a solid time who's never. What's that? No, I said solid rant, Steve. You're doing well. well. Al- 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 Alabama Al- OC is not a young, innovative guy, though. Yeah, Steve, Lance is right about that. You said he doesn't make any sense. I'm going to get half of it in, but I do appreciate it. I'm going to get out the way for let other people, but if y'all want to speak on anything else, I'm all ears. Yeah, Steve, just real quick, and and, and Steve, Lance just pointed out, the Alabama OC is Bill O'Brien, who's like a veteran play caller. He's not some, like, young, innovative mind. Just just FYI. Well, no. I'll I'll go ahead and tweet you, Lance, directly. I I mean, because I'm definitely probably mistaken on who he's being linked with, but it is an offensive coordinator from college. And, I mean, listen, so – and honestly, if I was Mr. Marion, honestly, I would expect him to talk about that, what happened with the defense coordinator, and say, look, you know, one of the things we're going to do is we want to make sure we obviously keep the ability, not just for Daniel Jones, the offense as a whole, anybody else who's, you know, behind, you know, at the helm. So I think that's important. I don't want to dismiss any of the concerns, but I think this dude brings more than enough to the table, you know, that uh, we should be excited. Not only that, he was blue, he's born blue-blooded like me, like everybody, you know, most people on this phone. Let's bring, you know, let's bring one of our own home. Let's get it, baby. Right. Big Blue. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate the call. Hey, he said he was going to have a mini rant. He did. That was not mini, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was not mini at all. <laughs> I hate to see what a real one would be like. but Oh, Jeff, have you been in line when, when, when Steven Dettino go at it? <sighs> oh, boy. No, I hope I'm never It gets ugly. Like a point. I, I, I mean, there's some good things in there. Hey, look, he, he makes a good – he makes the case for Brian Flora as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the other thing I was going to tell you guys about this offensive coordinator, I was just thinking about this a little bit. 
you know, don't be surprised that there's some college guys that are involved in some of these names that might have been thrown out by these coaches. Because, you know, when you think about just trying to cherry-pick the NFL teams, you know, you may have an experienced play caller at the college level that wouldn't have a lateral move to move to an offensive coordinator position in the in the NFL coming from, from college. So I don't know enough about the college call, call players. Now, remember, Bill O'Brien, he's, he's calling plays for Alabama. But, you know, you never know. He could end up back in New England, for all we know. If McDaniels well, guys have gone on. back and forth before, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just something to think about. I just was just thinking about that when that rant was going on. I well, and also, Brian, that. Brian Dable, <laughs> remember, he had a brief stint at Alabama himself in 2017. Sure. Yeah. So he's not that far removed from the college game mm-hmm. before yep. he then returned to the NFL ranks with the Buffalo Bills. So that's why I said. When these guys come and go, to your point, Jeff, they cross paths with coaches that are currently in the college level and yeah maybe they want to bring them up joe judge brought over some guys from the college level yeah, too Jeremy so Pruitt. i mean we've seen that yeah exactly and that wouldn't surprise me at all but remember it goes back to and this is where maybe i lost steve throughout that rant is he was claiming you bring in flores but then maybe you bring in somebody from the college level who's a young innovative guy but then now you're putting the hands of the offense in somebody that also is getting their first taste of the NFL. So you could tell me Flores is an experienced head coach, and I've got nothing against Flores, but now Flores is now telling a young guy who's never been a coordinator before, let's say, to now go off in his own corner and try to fix this offense. That's a lot you're putting then on that individual too. So it all goes back to every position is of utmost importance. We can't just focus on the one guy at the top because the one guy at the top then has to then hire the correct individuals to go off on their own facets and handle their business. That's why I keep going back to if it's a defensive guy, the offensive coordinator is critical. If it's an offensive guy, you still can't forget about the defense. Mm -hmm. Because what did we guys, what did we experience here with respect to the previous two head coaches? Mm -hmm. In my opinion, this is my interpretation, I thought when Shermer came, I thought the offense was steady. I thought the defense took a step back. Then Judge came, the defense improved, the offense took a step back. So you've had individuals. Now, Judge was a special teams guy. He was a wide receivers coach. Shermer, obviously, an offensive background. But we've seen mixed results regardless of the backgrounds of the head men. So it still goes back to how are they rounding out their staff. That's still going to make or break the outlook of this team. 201-939-4513. Jeff, want anything else? We can't no, 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 good. It's all good points. Chris yeah, in I New mean, Jersey. He's up next. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. What's up? Guys, just a few thoughts. You know, a few weeks ago when everything went down with Judge and he was, re- you know, relieved of his duties, I, I originally wanted a coach that, that would just oversee the whole operation and, and not lay it on an offensive coordinator, a new guy to come in and run the show. However, the more I keep thinking about it, when, when you're down to these possible uh three candidates if you throw in Frazier. When, when you look at Flores, and I think he did a great job in Miami, when you look at Flores, his offense wasn't that great. You have to be, once again, like you mentioned, uh, Lance, you have to be uh, concerned about the offensive coordinator. Let's say he brings a Bill O'Brien in. You know, uh, Daniel Jones on his rookie year threw 25 touchdowns, uh, close to 4,000 yards maybe, but, I, you know, it, it's, it's only one way but up, and you know Daniel could do it. And, and the, the thing in the back of my mind is, you know, are you going to lose another offensive coordinator? You know, Daniel Jones does have the capability to throw those 25 to 30 touchdown passes up this upcoming year if things get fixed on the line uh, and opened up a bit and, and throw for, um, you know, close to 4,000 yards. So then you're, you're talking about Bill O'Brien, who lost uh, his first go-around. You know, most coaches, or a lot of them, do get that second chance. And, and he would be, uh, I would think, uh, a pretty hot 
coach, um, just considering what he would have done with uh, Jones and the offense. So I'm kind of leading toward uh, Dable now. There is that working relationship between him and Shane, which I think is a plus. And uh, the, if this all works out and Jones works out and, and Dable works out, you're, you're going to consistently have a system, unlike what, what Jones has been through the past few years, you're going to have a, a system that they're going to be working together, you know, hopefully for years to come without having to jeopardize changing another offensive system and, and bringing in a, a, another coordinator. So I've kind of flipped on that. What do you guys think? Well, that's why the trend, and I believe John and I have had this conversation on a previous show, has been when teams really like an offensive guy, they hire the offensive guy as the head coach to protect themselves from what you're talking about, him then leaving a year later because he wows everybody from an offensive standpoint. If the offensive coordinator is the head coach, then he's not leaving because he's now at the highest possible position. So that's why most teams, if they are enamored by an offensive guy, you give him the head coaching position. You still need to take care of the defense, but you protect yourself that if the offense thrives, which you're anticipating, he's not leaving because he's already in that top position. Right. And, and the only scary part about this, and I know not every coach is the same, but, I, you know, you have flashbacks as a Giants fan with Shermer and McAdoo with their head in that, uh, you know, on the play call sheet. So that's the one thing, you know, maybe Dayball will definitely be different, you know, in terms of being the overall CEO of the team, even though Sherman and McAdoo probably were. It just seemed like on game day they, they were so involved with that play sheet. A lot of Giant fans, like myself, felt like, you know, we needed that coach to uh, to just, you know, be a little bit more involved on the well, defense. Well, well, again, and, Chris, uh, what you can do is you can have your the, your – architect, that's the word I'll keep using, architect of your offense, right. be your head coach, but maybe he's not the one that's physically calling the plays into the quarterback, too. So he is his sure. lieutenant take that responsibility on game days, even though the, the coach is still the architect and the mastermind of the offense. I think that's how yeah. it would probably work. Or the lieutenant yeah, no, also is the guy that makes the corrections when the defense is out there. So you're calling the plays, but you Thank have you, somebody else in between the change of possessions, he then talks to the quarterback and the offensive personnel, right. and then this way the head coach can focus on what's going on from a defensive perspective to utilize timeouts and so forth. You know, also, let's not make it sound like the head coach is on an island and he doesn't communicate with the assistance guys up top or on the sideline. Even if you're a polished head coach, you're still going to listen to maybe feedback you're getting from assistance. That's why you're wearing a headset. Situations. That's yeah. why you're yeah. wearing a headset. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's not all on the head coach, and then he's just out there, and you hope that he's going to prevent the boat from sinking. I mean, that's not how teams operate. In fact, but, a lot of teams, Lance, have a timeout and time management guy that's solely responsible for that up in the booth. That helps the coach. With that I would stuff. want that. I'd want a guy having eyes on the replay set. I'd have responsibilities Spread across the board. Why should everybody have one thing on their plate? You should be communicating because they may see the replay monitor upstairs. Nobody on the sideline seeing that. So I'd want to hear from the guy up top who may have a better angle to determine whether or not I should throw the flag. I mean, all that is imperative. One other thing, guys, that I wanted to add with respect to, I believe during that earlier rant, it was brought up that it doesn't make sense to take a first-time GM and put him with a first-time head coach. Well, coincidentally... Let's not overlook the fact, where is Joe Shane coming from? He's coming from an organization that did exactly that. Yeah, Brandon McDermott. Bean was a first-time general manager, okay? Sean McDermott was a first-time head coach. Now, you could tell me all you want. McDermott was a longtime assistant coordinator, and Brandon Bean obviously worked in Carolina. The experience factor was there, but you took a first-time general manager and head coach and put them together, and look at what's happened in Buffalo. Worked out pretty good. Yeah. So really I did. just I, the reason I'm bringing it up is I don't look at that as a main reason to avoid those circumstances. 
I just find like that sometimes is a reason to scare people into not wanting to do something. If you think the individual is young, savvy, has gained some polish from his previous stint, then eventually you got to give the guy or gal an opportunity to thrive now. Well, at one at one point, Lance, every great all-time great coach in the NFL was given a shot without head coaching experience, right? It has to happen at some point. Yeah, absolutely. At some level, yeah, sure. It's like Jeff, right? Before you became a, a punter, you could only watch on the sidelines so much, right, from being a yeah. punter. Eventually, they got to put the football in your hands, and you got to do it. Got to do it. A there you go. Pressure. They put so much <laughs> pressure on me. Wow. I'm sorry. I didn't that's mean to okay. put you in the corner. No. But, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Hands-on experience. You eventually need to throw them into the deep end and take off the swimmies. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. No, right. It happens for everybody. 201. You know? And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. There isn't a formula here. Like, there's no thing, well, this works all the time. This doesn't work all the time. You know, you bring in a guy with experience, it's a disaster. Or you I'm bring sure. in a guy with no experience, it could be a disaster. Guess what? We've seen both of those here. <laughs> Not for nothing. <laughs> yeah, the like, time's over. Yes. Th- there is no set formula like, well, this always works, right? It, you just no. got to find the right combination of people. And that, was, and that was a big Joe Shane theme at his press conference, right? You want to put the right people in the right positions to give the entire group the best chance to succeed. And that's what the Giants are going to try to do here. Yeah, and not to say that, you know, and I, I believe that that's probably a theory that every coaching staff uses. i got to put these players in the best position to succeed. We always hear that, right? But you don't know what goes on behind closed doors and then meetings and things like that where, you know, on the on the outside it looks like maybe they're trying to do that, but maybe there was some disconnect in somewhere here and there, not to, not to mention just this last staff, but I'm sure that it happens everywhere. Well, Jeff, by the way, Joe yeah. Shane was talking about front office personnel, right? Yeah, he just th- wants yeah. the right people doing the right jobs. Exactly, exactly. And, and just, you know, so I, I feel like when you talk from a leadership standpoint, you know, it is important that the coach is obviously going to be either calling plays or whatever it is, but – I think it, this is so important that this GM and this coach are on the same page from the get-go, whether they're the first-timers or they're not. This is a rebuild when it comes to an organization, and, and John Mara and Steve Tisch have, have admitted it. They made mistakes in the past. They made mistakes with, uh, with Daniel Jones. We are, we are empowering Joe Shane and his new people to come in and change this organization to get us back to what the New York football joints are all about, and that's winning championships. You know, there's four of those trophies in that trophy case. When you walk into that building, they want to do everything they can to move in the right direction to get the fifth one. And sooner or later, you hope that that happens with patience. I think this whole thing is going to have to be about patience, guys. I mean, there's too many people today that want instant success. But the way that this team is put right now, salary cap, personnel, it's just it's going to take time. It's got to you got you got to be along for the ride. And uh, and we will. We'll be here. 201-939-4513. You have two more calls we want to get in here. Uh, and patience, you're right, Jeff. I've, I've tried to make that point multiple times over the last couple Absolutely. of days. But you could not be more right. Len in New Jersey. He's up next. Len, how are you? Hi, Len. Hey. Glenn here from New Jersey. And uh, <laughs> uh, listening to what you were just saying, I'm looking forward to New York Giants football AD. That's after disaster. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm taking a patient uh, – when you're waiting on hold, you have to learn to be patient, right? That's anyway. true, too, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm 58 years old, and I'm, I'm blessed to have seen four Super Bowl championships, which is great, considering I'm also a Nets and Mets fan, so I haven't had much success in that realm. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I want to talk about the offensive line and quarterback situation, but while I was on hold, you also mentioned uh, 
uh, you were talking about the first-time offensive coordinator, first-time general manager, and you made some good points. I actually agree with you. I don't have a problem with that as much as I'm intrigued by Brian Flores, but um, I also think if you go, if they go that way with uh, Dable, first-time head coach, first-time, you know, there's always a chance that uh, if they do hold on to uh, Patrick Graham, say, for, as defensive coordinator, because he has stated that that's kind of his dream job, then you also have the eyes and, and you have somebody there with experience who's actually seen the good and the bad and what has worked and hasn't worked in the last two years. So I think there's, there's something to be said about that. But what I originally called about was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I, I've seen enough flashes in Daniel Jones that I think it's, and you stress patience, that it, it is good to be patient, give him another year. Uh, I do agree with Meredith on everything they can to screw this poor kid up. He showed some real good flashes that first year. So I think that when you factor in, they lost two key young pieces to the offensive line and with the injuries to Gates and uh, Shane Lemieux, who, you know, what, what could have been if they had truly developed this year? So I think hopefully they come back. I pray uh, Nick Gates comes back healthy and can continue to develop. Cause I, love, I love the attitude of those two guys. So now you, you, you kind of step back. Don't worry about a quarterback this year. Just build like – Build everything you can around him. Bring those two guys back from injury. Add a few pieces to the offensive line and let them develop. I, I remember a year or two before they went to the Super Bowl in 07, like 03, 04, there was a lot of talk. We didn't have talk radio and, or all the Internet stuff, but there was a lot of talk about how that offensive line wasn't that good, but they stayed together and they developed. So I'm all for being patient. We have hope. And uh, – you know, I'd like to see them fill in, strengthen those lines up. And if it doesn't work after this year, then you can always next year look at a quarterback in draft. And the only caveat to that would be is if, if there's a guy sitting there in the second or third round that they think is worth developing, then sure, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to sure. trust these guys because we have to you – know, you don't have to take them with five or seven. You know, I've seen some people talk about this guy, Corral, from Mississippi – in the second or third round. Well, if he's sitting there, maybe you take a flyer on him. I don't know. I'm not a scout, but I agree. We, we don't have a choice. We've got to be patient. And uh, But I'm looking forward. New York Giants AD after disaster. Thank no you, chance. Glenn. Appreciate the call. Let me <laughs> make two quick. what PC stands for then. Yeah, I, I don't know. The Giants world. Yes. Let's not go there. No, uh, I know. Yes. <laughs> um, how, about, how about before Coughlin? Um, <laughs> maybe you call it that. Yes. How about before Coughlin? Um, so... Two things I want to point out. One, and the caller brought this up, too, about Daniel Jones' rookie year, and I'll just warn people again. Yes, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He had three games that year as a rookie where he had 13 touchdowns and no interceptions. They were against the, and I just looked this up so I had it in front of me. Washington was one of them, right? They were against the Detroit Lions, who had the second-worst defense in football that year. Washington, who had the fifth-worst defense in football that year. And the Jets were the other team that they were a bad team, but they actually had a fairly decently ranked defense. So I do think some of those rookie counting stats, much like I've tried to point out that Jones played a lot better than his counting stats in his second year. I don't think he played quite as well as his counting stats would indicate in his rookie year. So that's just kind of my opinion on that. Number two, you guys can comment either one of these. When it comes to Flores, I know people really want a lot of change and everything. In terms of how the building works with the coaches, he's probably going to run the building very similar to the way Joe Judge did because they both come from the same Sure. They place. learn from the same environment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so like not that sort of stuff 
probably and that that culture is probably not going to be all that different going from judge which, to Flores. Obviously, which, the personality is different, and that's a, a big part of this. But the structure is probably going to be very similar, I would imagine, right, Jeff? Could could be could be a little that could be a negative for me, because as a player, it's going to be a lot like Joe Judge, and I mean I don't know. I mean, did I like what Joe Judge was doing? I, I'm not in the building, but I could say if I didn't like what Joe Judge was doing, and now I'm going to get another one, you know. Whereas a Brian Dayball, um, completely different, right? I mean, coming from somewhere where the general manager's from, and you know that kind of thing. I, I it's a great point, not something I didn't think of. Um, so yeah, but whether that's going to make a difference, I don't know. But I think it's I think it's spot on. Because where else? Look, look at Brian Flores. Go back and look at how many years he was in New England. My yeah, God, yeah, very he was long like time for a long well, if time. I remember, well, I think wasn't it a press conference this year? Didn't didn't Graham at one point say him Flores and Joe Judge were like brothers? I mean, those guys are like super tight. Those guys, sure, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Well, that was the week leading up to the Dolphins game yeah. where they were all reminiscing. And to answer your question, Jeff, he was there from '04 to '18. He was in the <laughs> scouting department, oh, yeah. and then he became an assistant coach. Yeah. That's in, that's that's like Tom Quinn. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Tom Quinn's been there since yeah. the beginning of time. I mean, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Well, but what I think what you're getting at is that, see, unlike Brian Dayball, who's been at a variety of places other than New England because yes. he's been with some teams and colleges, yes. he's experienced a little bit more versatility in terms of how other coaches run things, whereas guys like Judge and Flores – They've been pretty much provided the Belichick New England blueprint. They haven't had nearly as much versatility. Doesn't make them bad coaches. It's just that, you know, like anything else, when you're exposed to, okay, here's how individual A runs things, but you know what? I want to take a little bit from individual B. Maybe he wasn't as good X's and O's, but I liked how he ran his meetings, how he scheduled things during the week. You at least have a little bit more to turn to. Well, Lance, I went through it, right? He had Sperano and Todd Bowles. He had Todd Haley and Romeo Cornell. He had, uh, who was, I need Eric Mangini, right? Those are all the different head coaches, not to mention Nick Saban at Alabama. Now, although a lot of those guys are from that Parcells tree now, right, and the Belichick tree, but it is still different environments and different things he's experienced with. All right, final call of the show. Let's go to Marco in Connecticut. Marco, you are probably going to be our final caller until Monday when we know who the Giants' next head coach is going to be. What's up? So you're going to have to tell Ooh. us who it is. Press on. Hey, listen, so... Uh, I will do that. Um, I, so I got a comment, and I'm going to end with a question. I'll make this quick because I, I want to hear what you guys have to say. The comment, uh, uh, John, I listened to your the Huddle podcast about Flores this morning. Um, while I was driving, I almost swerved off the road three times listening to some of that because I, I mean, unbelievable, first off. Unbelievable info from Armando. I think if you want to know everything you need to know about Flores, you listen to that. And when I listened to that, I said, hey, this guy's got a lot explaining to do. Because I agree. I, I was for Judge staying, by the way. Um, because I believe Judge kind of knew the type of personnel he wanted, what the program eventually he wanted it to look like. And, hey, things happen and he had to move on. Or they had to move on from him. But with Flores, that's exactly who you're getting. Actually, it's probably times 10. And – you know, John, you asked some great questions about, um, I don't know if you mentioned, uh, I think the slow start and calling the defense. I mean, what we've gotten used to with Patrick Graham uh, eventually being rock solid by the end of the year, I mean, that's exactly what we're going to be getting. I think he's a good coach. I don't think it's for us. I don't, not with the, not with the consistency that we need around the quarterback and the offensive line. 
I just I can't see it. So yeah, now, look, Marco, you're right. In that, in that interview, they need to find out why he was rotating assistant coaches so much and whether or not he thinks he can have a more stable system here because all that change is probably not going to work for any team. And, look, John Mayer basically said that, right? He basically said that they screwed up Daniel Jones by rotating all these different coaches in and out and changing systems and players and all that stuff. Well, that's kind of what happened in Miami. So I guarantee you that's going to be, if not the first or second question, was that came out of everybody's mouth when they had that conversation with Brian Flores on Thursday. So, I five years from now, I want the same head coach and the same GM. Oh, God whoever willing. Whoever we pick. God willing. God willing, oh. no. Right? Because that, there is a recipe for success behind that. So, I've gotten into arguments with some other people about Harbaugh and Peyton. I'm not saying they're bad coaches. They're great coaches. But for us, I want the same two guys in the same place five years from now. I want Shanahan. What Shanahan has, what McVay has, what Frank Reich has, Rabel. These, there's a, and there's a, there's a reason why those organizations now are consistent. Um, well, that's what we've been question. pointing out, Marco, on this show forever. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've been yes, saying that nonstop, the revolving door that fans want. And I'm not saying that you know some of these moves aren't justified, but you have to come to grips with patience in the end sometimes <laughs> leads to the best rewards. Yeah. But it may take a few years to get there. Get him out of here. Well, two years. Uh, get him out of here. Get another one. Get another one. It's not going to work. I, I, yeah. Yeah. No. I. 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 So I. I lean. I lean Dayball because of that. Um, my. My question, Jeff. What this whole time period when there's um, a coach leaves, no coach has been named. There's going to be a new coach coming in. What's that like for players and coaches that were on the the team? Like, what? What? What's going through their mind? Are they kind of just drifting out there, wondering what's going to happen? Like we all are. Are some comfortable? Are some not comfortable? Or is it just like haywire for them? What, can, you, well, can you share a little bit? If you've well, been from, in the, from the coach's standpoint, it's very nerve-wracking because, you know, they're making phone calls. They're going to be down at the pro, at the senior bowl trying to find jobs because, you know what, right now they're in limbo. They don't know if the new guy is going to, you know, keep them. So they're trying to make sure that if they don't stay here, they're gonna, where they're going to go with these other staff. So it's a, lot of, it's a lot of, you know, nervousness, both for them and for their families. As for players, it's a lot easier. Because, you know, you know you're going to be there to a point. I mean, you know the new regime's going to come in. You're going to have a new position coach. Now that you have a new general manager, that might scare a couple of the guys that, you know, may not be, you know, they may not be that great, but they may not be that bad. So you never know if you're going to be on the team. But for the for the players, it's, it's a lot easier to accept who's going to be coming in there. It's just kind of like, I just hope I don't get a coach that I don't like, like your position right. coach. Because you spend so much right. time with those guys, and if it's a position coach that you've heard bad things about, or you kind of understand, oh, I don't know about this guy. I don't know. Guy, this is going to be great. This guy's, you know, or man, I can't believe I got this coach. It's awesome. So it's pretty pretty easy for the coaches, for the players, but not so much for the coaches. So, so there were some, and I'll hop off into this. There were some reports from Shane's press conference that Daniel Jones was in the room. Patrick Graham was in the room. Is there anything to take out of that, that those guys are hanging around watching that? Um, and I'll, I'll hop up and listen. I don't know about else? the Patrick Grant thing, but I know Daniel Jones is rehabbing, so that makes yeah. why he's here. I mean, that that's I, I saw Logan Ryan there. I mean, he was listening. Well, I mean, listen, if you're under contract and you're on the team and this is going to be the new people, why not? I and mean, you're I, local, right? Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, why not? not? Go in there and check way. it out. Yeah. You know, so, um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I believe there were some people at Joe Judge's presser, too, if memory serves Oh, absolutely. Correctly. For sure. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't really think that's stunning or anything to read into. Right, By right. the way, just a quick side note here before we wrap up, because I know a lot of people selling points, and this is not to take anything away from Brian Flores, but is the fact that the Dolphins beat the Patriots a few times. I hate to break it to everyone. Adam Gase beat yeah, the Patriots correct. two times. Miami yeah, has had New right. England's number in Miami For years. since, like, the turn Ever. of the century. Yeah. No, Please right. stop selling me on a coach because he went in up against Belichick and beat him a few times. And by the way, what difference does it mean <laughs> if they beat the Patriots a few times? The last time I checked, you want to win the NFC East? You got to worry about the Cowboys, the Eagles, and Washington. Show me a coach that beat all three of those teams consistently. I don't want to hear anything about they beat Belichick and the Patriots, as if this is now the standard for the rest of the NFL. It's absolutely ridiculous. This is all I keep getting tweets about and statements. The Enough pa- already. Everyone who's coached the Dolphins has beaten the Patriots. Wow. In the last 10 we're, years. Nice this, rant. This, this is a no, rant. No, I mean, Friday. enough like is it. enough I mean, already. I mean, My goodness. This, this is a Friday rant. It's- I mean, this well, is it. Love it, Lance. Keep going. I mean, you know. Well, I just, I don't understand that that's the rationale to nah, make somebody a more appealing candidate. It's yeah, dumb. It's Come on. That's dumb. Stop. Yeah. yeah. All right. For fun, before we say goodbye, guys, whenever this gets announced, Jeff, who's the Giants next head coach? Brian Flores. Lance. You know what? I'm going to lean towards Flores as well slightly. I'm 50-50. I flip a coin. I'll go Dable. See, yeah. here's the concern. Dable, remember, may have other options. Yeah. That's something that we didn't I, I'm throw out. That he want to go to Miami, maybe. Well, because he's got the history with two. So mm-hmm. here's the question. The Giants may want somebody. Is that the first choice for them? That's the other yeah. thing, just to throw out yeah. there as a consideration. Good point, too. And by the way, Brian Flores is also reporting that he has an interview with the Saints now. So... That's also been reported, yeah. Which, you know what, could present an opportunity maybe for Leslie Frazier here all of a sudden. Don't rule him out as well. Frazier's got the relationship with Shane, and he's been a head coach before. You know, everybody seems to be overlooking him. This could maybe open the door for him if other people have other opportunities elsewhere. Well, we'll see. It'll be fun, guys. I imagine next time we talk, uh, I'll be on my way to Mobile, likely, and you guys will be here. And we will know who the Giants' next general manager is. And, we'll and we will be coach. talking yes. about it. Trust yes. me. I mean, next general manager, next head coach. <laughs> we sorry, know the new GM. Yes. We were talking about that, next too. Head coach. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Uh, and by the way, if we do make an announcement over the weekend, some pair of people that are on these shows <laughs> will do some type of rapid reaction on the Giants' right. total podcast. We'll figure it out. We have some people were working basketball games or traveling, snow, blah, blah, blah. We'll figure it out. So stay tuned for that if the Giants announce this weekend. For Lance Meadow and Jeff Fegels, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a great weekend. Stay safe.